Hebrews chapter 12. We've had a pretty good uh, day, a long trip here, so we're normally, again, not away from our church, but we were in Jamestown with an old friend of mine, James Allred. need to pray for, uh, I'm sorry, Fred, Fred Allred, and I got Brother James on my mind there for a moment there, but he's got that Lewy body syndrome. It's a very slow, uh, that long goodbye that's even longer than the average uh, Alzheimer's, and so he's a good man. And we have have been there for four decades or so preaching. But it was really interesting because when the service was over on Saturday night, uh, they played Rocky Top. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Well, you know you're in Tennessee when in the house of God we play Rocky Top, you know. And I mean, everybody was so excited Saturday, but nobody's saying anything about what happened with Houston Astros. 18 innings, and we swept, uh, you know, the Mariners. How many knew that? Raise your hand. I am hurt. I just... <laughs> yeah, we are, our goal is to one day win a World Series without banging on garbage cans. And we believe that... <laughs> some of you don't know what I'm talking about. But we believe this could be it. I mean, so we're, we're uh, uh, hoping that can happen. But man alive, I tell you, I, back where I'm, I'm from, I mean, everything is Astros. And then I come here and you don't think that anything exists except for your team. Well, okay, roll tide then. But anyway... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> No, we're gone. We're gone. And I got to tell you something. I have gotten my mouth uh, filled with so much foot in my life. I remember one time I was preaching. I, I preached uh, around, uh, around the nation. And I'm very happy to do this. And I remember I was preaching in Wyoming. And uh, I, I think not long before that, I'd been preaching in Colorado. So I was praying. And I said, Lord, it's so good to be here in this beautiful state of Colorado where these beautiful mountains are and what you're doing here. But thank you for letting us be here in Colorado. Soon as I got through with the amen, the people shouted, Wyoming! <laughs> I said, well, yippee ti yo excuse me. <laughs> No, I know uh, that uh, I've, I'm very understanding that the Vols beat the daylights out of uh, Roll Tide. And so we're, we're happy for you on that. And I, and I just want to say, and go on record, that we in Texas love Tennessee. Matter of fact, after the war between the states, all of my people came from Tennessee. The popes came from Tennessee to Texas. Uh, But before then, there was a lot of you other Tennesseans' uh, relatives that came over. And so we humorously say with gladness, had it not been for the Tennesseans, we Texicans would still be Mexicans. So thank you very much. Amen. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12. Amen. Go Vols. All right. Um, Am I back in grace again? Amen. Remember the Alamo. Amen. Davy Crockett. Amen. Jim Bowie. That's what I'm talking about. Houston, amen, Sam Houston, right here from Tennessee, friends with old hickory. All right, Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Let's remain standing. We'll have a word of prayer and then please be seated. Heavenly Father, it is an honor to be here at Valley View Baptist Church, and we certainly love Brother Jared, and we're very thankful for the four years that you've given him to pastor this church. And then we thank you, Lord, for his intense desire to see the Great Commission carried out in his Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the uttermost part of the earth. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just bless this mission conference We thank you for the way that you've already blessed. Thank you for the good report we've heard yesterday about Brother Stone being with these wonderful people and and the things that you're going to do in the next couple of days. 
We pray on this evening, dear Lord, that you would give us the Holy Spirit unction, the function in such a way that the people can make the appropriate application in their own lives. We know that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, so cut through the gunk, O Lord, and help us to get to the heart of the issue. We pray that you would bind the hands of Satan and allow the Spirit of the Lord to work because your Word says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. So take liberty tonight. Thank you for the wonderful congregational singing we've heard, the testimony from Brother Smith, the music from the Wileys. And thank you for journey mercies for us personally to be able to be here tonight. Give us, O oh Lord, exactly what we need. And you know that we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. It's a great passage of Scripture here. We are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, there's a couple of views on what that means. That after we have the hall of faith in chapter 11, there is this wherefore placed in the beginning. And so I know that you've heard this. If you ever went to Bible college, you heard that. And that is whenever you see a wherefore there, you ought to ask yourself, what is the wherefore therefore, right? Why was it placed there? Because of maybe that great cloud of witnesses spoken of in the hall of faith in the 11th chapter. Others have said that it's not only those that have gone on before that are mentioned in the 11th chapter, but it's also talking about others. Others. It says here in verse number 38 of the previous chapter, of whom the world was not worthy. Talking about these great people of faith. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So others have added this, that not only it is talking about those that are mentioned in Hebrews 11, but those who have gone on before us, before us, that we knew that are, as it were, in that great cloud of witnesses. I know that you've heard a version of the story that I'm about to tell you, but there is a story that is told, and whether it's spurious or not, I do not know, but it'll certainly serve as a vehicle to carry what we're talking about here. But there was a boy that was a rather mediocre player in his football team, and he really didn't accomplish much. And, um, but he, but he uh, had the privilege of having his father with him at every game. His father was blind, could not see anything. And uh, so one day that great father who had complications in other areas of his life died. And the coach said, you don't have to come to the game today. And the boy said, but I want to come to the game today. And it had only been hours since his father passed away. And the coach tried to talk him out of it because he was not the first string. So he it was really... You know, the, 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 team, the team could get by without him. And so the story went on to say that the boy would say, well, now, coach, I'm here, and not only I'm here, but I'm anxious to play. And so they went through the first quarter, and the boy was kind of sitting on the edge of his seat, bouncing up and down, and the coach would see him, and he almost became a bother to the coach. And so the second quarter came, and the boy was still kind of bouncing up and down and just getting, you know, nervous sitting there, and halftime came, and so when they came into the halftime dugout area there, they, um, or back in the locker rooms, I should say, uh, he went out ahead and, and asked the coach. He said, Coach, I'd be honored if today you would just let me play. And at this time, the team wasn't doing well. And so maybe at this time, the coach thought, well, it doesn't look like we're going to pull out if we keep playing like this. Why not give this boy a chance? And maybe he'll get his mind off the deceased father who's gone away. And so on that third quarter, the coach put him in. And the coach said that he had never seen a boy play ball like that. He began to run one touchdown after the other, broke all of the records in that high school. Never seen anything like it. And they not only won that night, but they trounced the team they were playing against. 
When it was all over, the boy was there in the locker room with his other friends and no one was talking to him because, you know, they knew the situation. He and his father were very close. They came to every game and it was the first time in his whole career as a high school football player that his dad was not there. He was a senior, so he had played in his freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year as one of the rather mediocre players, second string, but not really that needed. But now he became the record-making touchdown football player in the history of the school. And the coach said, I don't understand it, son. It just doesn't make sense to me. Your dad died just hours ago. Not even one day has gone by. And I have never in my life after these decades of coaching football, ever seen a boy run on the field and do with the ball what you did. And I just, can you please explain to me what happened to you today? Because we have put you in before, but you've never, ever done anything close to what you did today. Matter of fact, no player have I ever seen did what you did today. Is there any reason? He said, there is, coach, because you know my dad was blind. But you see, coach, this is the first day my dad ever got to see me play ball. This is the first day my dad ever saw me play. And I was playing because I knew he was watching. I think about the wonderful experience that we've had. I see Jeff back there, and we're preacher's kids, and we know what it is to... I was telling my wife, Barbara, even this weekend while we were together, I said, you know, there's a lot of times that people have been nice to me. And Jared, I appreciate the nice things you've said about me. But whenever my dad was in the audience, that's when I felt like I was always at my best because he was my hero and he was my pastor growing up. Now he's not here, but there are times. Well, here's the way that Charles Haddon Spurgeon put it referring to his ancestor, Job Spurgeon, who was a great old Puritan preacher of the gospel. He said, there are times that I can feel the shadow of his broad brim over me to this day. And those old uh, Puritans would wear that broad brim. There are times that I can feel the shadow of my father's fedora. They, a lot of guys in my dad's age bracket wore those fedoras, amen. And I can, I can feel it over me at times in the presence of dad because he's watching me. And I want to this day, even well over three decades since dad's gone to heaven, I want to preach in such a way. I want to serve the Lord in such a way because dad is watching But there's something else here in our text. It says in verse number 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me just say a word about this. Jesus... Because of the joy that was set before him. Paul said, what is our crown of rejoicing? Our crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy, and he that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seeds shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him, bringing in the sheaves, who for the joy that was set before him because of those who would be saved endured the cross, despising the shame, going through all of that for the joy that rested beyond what the cross would do. What a Savior. We have so much to be thankful for. And then the great apostle who wrote these words says in verse number 3, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You would not have any service. 
if it was not for him. There would not be a cloud of witnesses if it was not for him. And so even much more than I want to please my father who has gone on to glory, I want to please him. The Bible says in verse number three, for consider him. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. The antithesis is true. If we do not consider him, we do faint. This evening I'm going to speak to you on this subject. Consider him. Focus in on he who is beyond the great cloud of witnesses. The one that ultimately we're serving in this place. Jesus said in John 8, I do always those things that please him. May we evermore be doing all these things to please him as well. Consider him. Give thought to Jesus. Focus in on him. Consider him. Consider him. I would ask you to consider him as the creative Christ. Consider him as your creator. I know that I'm preaching the crowd when I say this, but truly... Isn't it good to know that God is not only the author and finisher of our faith, but He is our creator. He is the one that made us. Going back to another story, if I may, real quickly here, a little boy had saved up his money for mowing grass and he had bought the materials, the balsa and the, and the string and uh, the rudders and, and the so on to construct a beautiful little boat, a little sailboat. Of course, it was a pretty good little size sailboat and, and he worked hard on putting it together and he was so excited on the first day of the maiden voyage, he began to put it in the lake and it was a huge lake and the wind caught it. And before he knew it, it was sailing across the lake and he was running lickety-split trying to get to the other side before the little boat got there. By the time he got there, the boat had beat him out and someone had picked it up. Well, he was brokenhearted. But three weeks later, he was walking by the pawn shop and there in the front window was his little boat. Man, he was so excited. He walked in there, said the proprietor, said, uh, hey, I am so glad that somebody found my boat and, and I'd like to retrieve it. He said, well, and he told him how much it was going to cost. And the boy was aghast. He said, no, 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 that's my boat. I, I made that. He said, you can look on the bottom of the hole and I got my initials on there. And I, he says, I don't care what's on there. And I don't care if you did make it. It's my boat. And if you want it, you're going to have to pay for it. Man, he doubled up mowing lawns, doing everything he could. And he came back in there with the money uh, about one week later. And he began to carefully count it out. And he laid it down. The proprietor said, all right, boy, you can go get the boat. It's yours now. And the little boy held it on to his hand. And he walks out the side of the door. And someone overheard him say, little boat, little boat, you're mine, you're mine. You're mine because I made you. And you're mine because I bought you. You are, you are Christ because he made you. Amen. And you're here because he bought you by his Amen. blood. Amen. It's good to know that he is the great creator. Yes. Who was it that put the sun up yonder in the tabernacles of the heaven? It's Jesus. Right. Who was it that put the moon shining like a yellow jonquil in full bloom? It was Jesus. Who was it that scooped out and made the places for the ocean, filled it up with water, roped it off with sand? Who was it that put the beautiful green grass upon this planet and then tacked it down with daffodils? It was Jesus. Who was it that made you? You're not the product of coincidence. If Brother Jared, you and I were to go out there to South Dakota and we stand there looking at this canyon wall and we see the unmistakable likeness of Abraham Lincoln. Thomas Jefferson, Teddy Roosevelt. If we see these men and we see their face on there, they leave George Washington out? I didn't mean they leave George out, okay? If we see these faces on that wall and I were to say you, now millions and billions of years went by, the elements and the rain and the wind and the sand carved these faces out you would look at me as though I'm three fries short of a happy meal 
Not wrapped too tight, right? Not dealing with a full deck. Got a few cards missing here. Sir, that can't be. You can very easily see this is the product of intelligent design. Amen. Yet those stone figures are not nearly as complicated and they're not alive like you. Amen. You look in the mirror, you have eyes that can see. Washington's eyes can't see. You have ears that can hear. Jefferson's ears can't hear. You have a mouth that can talk. Roosevelt's mouth can't talk. You have a nose that can smell. And although, you know, President Lincoln had a pretty good size one, even in stone, it can't smell. It's an amazing thing. If I believed in evolution, I had me a little poem when it go like this. Once I was a tadpole, small and thin. Now I'm a monkey with my tail tucked in. Or now I, wait, let me start all over. Once I was a tadpole, small and thin. Now I'm a froggy with a tail tucked in. Now I'm a monkey in a coconut tree. Now I'm a professor with a PhD. How about that? Here's what the Bible says in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right. The same is the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Amen. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And Paul said in Colossians, He's before all things, and by Him all things consist. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were made by Him and for Him. Over 300 prophecies were perfectly fulfilled in the life of Jesus. He's more than just another man. He's God-man and the creator God. Consider him as your personal creator. That changes everything. You're his because he made you. You're his because he bought you. Consider Christ as the cradled Christ. When you think about Jesus getting close to this time of the year, it's so easy to get wrapped up in all of the holiday celebrations. We forget what Christmas is all about. He came from the glory of heaven to the gory earth, well, Dr. Lee used to say. From the hallelujahs of heaven to the hisses of earth. From the joys of heaven to the jeers of earth. From the comforts of heaven to the curses of earth. Heaven's bread for earth's hunger, heaven's joy for earth's sorrow. There, in the manger of Bethlehem, salvation was wrapped in swaddling clothes. There the infinite became an infant. What a Savior. Consider him as that cradled Christ. Never one time did that babe ever cry for spoiled attention. What a Savior. The perfect Son of God. Consider him as the curative Christ. We see that the Lord at the age of 12 baffles and bewilders the most educated men in the world. And the priest that dedicated their life to studying Torah and the prophets are overwhelmed as Jesus asks the questions they can't answer. And he answers his own questions. And he has for three days the most educated men in the world on the edge of their proverbial seats in wonder of he who never spoke like any other man. Amen. Oh, yes. And so at the age of 12, the author of the Bible <laughs> is explaining it. Yeah. Amen. And then it's pretty silent until... He's 30 years of age, takes his apron off, callous hands from picking up stones from the quarry, sun bronze complexion from walking upon those fields and gathering these massive trees and making furniture for people. Wouldn't it be amazing to sit on a chair that Jesus made? Wouldn't that be amazing? Because they didn't sit in a lot of chairs, but something that he made, that'd be something to see, you know. Hangs up that apron. I remember in H.I. Hester's book, The Heart of the New Testament, he gives this wonderful narration of what it must have been when Jesus was heading down to see John on the Jordan. And he embraces Mary and says, I must be about the Father's business now. 
Joseph has died probably from what others have said and he begins that lonely walk down toward the Jordan. Mary throws herself over her bed and begins to cry or the bed that he had slept in rather and begins to weep and cry knowing that God has plans for his only begotten son. Remembering those days when the angel came to her and told her that she would conceive and bring forth a son and how the Holy Spirit in loving purity escorted the Son of God, into her virgin womb. And now she's given him up to the world. And he goes and he sees John, and John makes this announcement. Overwhelmed. John had been already telling everybody, there's one that cometh after me who's mightier than I. I'm not worthy to undo his shoe latchet. And he sees Jesus, his cousin. But he sees more than a cousin. Behold! The Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He was overwhelmed. He said it again the next day. Just overwhelmed. And Jesus walks up to him and gives him the command to baptize. And John begins to argue, but I have need to be baptized of thee. Jesus says, no, to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. And see, this is what Jesus had come to do. To fulfill all righteousness. Whenever the law said, thou shalt not, we did. Whenever it said, thou shalt, we didn't. Whenever it said, thou shalt, Jesus did. Whenever it said, thou shalt not, Jesus did not. John, baptize me. I've come here to fulfill all righteousness. I've come here to do what you and no one else could ever do. So lay hands upon me and show them why I've come. To live the life they could not live and to die and take the hell for them. Bury me in the baptism. Death, burial, resurrection. That's why I've come. To fulfill all righteousness and then to die for the people that could not fulfill any righteousness. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Consider him. Tempted of the devil, 40 days, fasting in the wilderness, defeating the devil with three ways of doing it. With the word of God. Three different ways of temptation, but the same word of God, different phrases from the word, he defeated the devil. Giving us a great lesson right there. I talked to a young man that was really struggling with the lust of the flesh last night. And as I was talking to him, I just said, look at what Jesus did. How did he have this power over power over temptation? Because of the word of God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. How much word have you memorized? Think about that for a moment. We see the Bible is referred to as the Lagos. That's the complete canon of Scripture. There's another word for word besides Lagos, and that's the word rhema. Rhema is a specific word from the Lagos. That's the word that is used. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the rhema, by the specific word. You might have heard the word of God before, but on the day you got saved, God used the word to pierce your heart and bring you under conviction. It was that specific word. By the same token, do you understand that it's so important to get in the Word and do what the Bible says in Colossians? Let the Word of God dwell in you richly so that when you're under temptation, you can take from the Lagos, the Machaira, the Machaira. That short sword, sharper than any two-edged sword Amen. with a sharp point on it. And you can deal with temptation with great power over it. Because the Bible is true, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. A lot of you say, well, I can't help but sin because I'm under stronger temptation than other people are. Baloney. There is no temptation taken you, but such is as common to man. God is faithful, 
See, this is what we're on to do. Lord, I want to be faithful so I can overcome temptation. I want to be a better me. You ever heard people say that? You know, I hear this a lot, you know. A better version of yourself. You don't need a better version of yourself. You need Christ-likeness. That's right. <laughs> right? <laughs> I had a dear friend, this was many, many years ago. He's, he was the president of a Bible college. And he said, here at our Bible college, my goal is to reproduce myself and these young preachers. Reproduce myself and these young preachers. And we got through, and he was a close enough friend. I got a hold of him. I said, boy, aren't the people in your college getting ripped off? I said, Paul said that he travailed in birth till Christ be formed in them. Amen, that's right. Truth is, we don't have power over temptation. That's why he said, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation taken you, but such is as common to man. God is faithful, who will not suffer, allow you to be tempted, Above that you are able, but will with the temptation also. Do you like the word also? Also, make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. That is not merely compensation, that's overcompensating. In other words, the power of Christ is more powerful than the temptation that's working on you. That's exactly what it means. Well, Brother Pope, I hadn't, I hadn't seen it quite like that before. Well, look at it. I'm chasing a rabbit here right now. Is that okay? Okay, I, I feel like we need you because you know what's heartbreaking? We're, we're here at a mission conference. I'll tell you what's heartbreaking. From more than one source, Brother Smith, I have heard that at this time among independent fundamental Baptist missionaries, we have more missionaries coming off the field than going on the field. Have you heard that? Is that true? Wait a minute. And I'm telling you, I when I you know I think about BIMI and some of our missionaries. When I when I get those letters that are personal from BIMI or somewhere else, I cringe. I mean, just a couple of days ago, one of our best missionaries was just at a conference just like this, serving the Lord, and he gets out on the mission field and he commits adultery. You understand, if we have no moral compass, if we have no testimony, we have no ministry. God's big on this thing. Years ago, I had about 300 preacher boys in my classes, and I was too young to be a professor, way too young. But I think because I was around their age bracket, they felt like they could open up to me. And I had more than one of them come and they would say, Brother Pope, I don't know how many times I've laid my hands on 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I've named it and claimed it. I've blabbed it and grabbed it, but it doesn't work. Let me, let me help you on that, okay? God's word always work. Always works. <laughs> but we don't always work. Problem's not God. The problem is me. The problem is you. And after a while, I, I got, I got kind of a concerned about that thing. Lord, we, we need some help. When I say we, we, at that time, young preachers need some help, what about that, Lord? How come they can look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, God is faithful, not suffer you to be tempted above the array. But wait a minute, Lord, how, what? People may ask me, do you believe that God speaks audibly? I, I believe he speaks louder than that Amen. when he begins to address your spirit. Amen? Yes. You knew every one of us got, Amen. The Spirit of God, Galatians tell us that, that, that God sends the Spirit of the Lord to witness of Jesus in us, crying, Abba, Father. I mean, He's in there. And if you'll listen, He'll talk. Lord, how can we get a grip on this thing? And this word really came to me, and I believe it was the Lord, it was very profound. Look up the word temptation in the Bible. Okay, so I began to look it up and begin to study this thing out. And I saw there were six different places, mainly in the Gospels, where you see the word temptation used like this. There is no temptation 
taken you. Oh, okay, that's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. But what does the gospel say? It's a little different. What, here, here's how it says it. Pray, let me get over here, because there is no temptation taken you, but such as come to man. Here, six times, pray that ye enter not into temptation. Lest ye enter into temptation, spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Pray that ye enter not into temptation, lest ye enter into temptation. That's the way it is expressed. That's the way it's used six times before it's mentioned here in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Pray or lest ye enter into temptation. There hath no temptation taken you. God showed me something. He's at least six times more interested in delivering you from the presence of temptation than he is in delivering you from the power of temptation. Furthermore, if you're not looking for a way out of the presence of temptation, God is not obligated to deliver you from the power of temptation. Because if you do not pray not to enter into temptation, lest you enter into temptation, if you invite temptation in your life, you're on the threshold of committing that sin that is high-handed sin. That presumptuous sin. Well, what does that mean? Look at the root. Presume. You presume that you can get away with what others could not get away with. You can't look at pornography and have a whole mind and not eventually get caught and get no deliverance from the power of temptation. That's something to think about, isn't it? I told some teenagers at a conference just recently, just this weekend, you've got a girlfriend, you're not married, and you go over to her house, and you're sitting there with her mom and dad, eating popcorn, drinking Coke, eating Blue Bell ice cream. Now, that's a date. Or that's, if you don't like that term, that's, that's glorious courtship right there. <laughs> Coca-Cola, amen, popcorn, and then Blue Bell ice cream. All right, now, wait a minute. Watching Jeopardy. Mom and dad go to bed. You stay there. Two unmarried kids. You get closer. You hold hands. You put your arm around her. You give her a kiss. You get another kiss. And then you notice something is happening. And you say, "Uh uh-oh, Lord, deliver me from temptation, you idiot. (laughs) When mom and dad went to bed, you should have gotten your carcass out of there. You know what you did? You didn't pray not to enter in temptation. You invited temptation in your life. Now you want God to bail you out after you've ignored what he... Remember what... Hey, do you remember what uh, 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 Joseph did when Potiphar's wife grabbed a hold of him? Lie with me! What did he say? Oh, Mrs. Potiphar, let me sit on the sofa with you and explain to you, since you're bereft of spiritual power, how that God gives me power over the flesh. No. He ran. He didn't trust himself in the room with that woman. Remember what Proverbs 4 says? Avoid it. Pass not by it. Go near it. Remember what Proverbs 5 says? Don't go in the corner. Don't go there. Don't go near her house. Uh, Proverbs 7. Don't get close to it. This is important stuff. Now, the reason we chased a rabbit here, we got to the point where Jesus begins his ministry and the first thing he does is he defeats the devil with the word of God. And then this incredible power. Remember when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down upon him, the form of a heavenly dove. And the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus could have done all of the miracles by who he is. Second person of the Holy Trinity. But rather he did all of the miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. Think about that for a moment. 
See, that's why blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is unforgivable because all of the miracles, all of the witnessing of who he, who he is was done through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, remember uh, Acts chapter 5? He is God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. When you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, when you say Jesus is not who he is, when you say he's not doing what he's doing, he's this, he's that or the other, you've sinned against the Holy Ghost, it's not forgiven. It's the uh, synonymous with rejecting Christ. So Jesus now is empowered by the Holy Spirit. He defeats the powers of darkness and immediately there's no blinded eyes that he couldn't touch and make see. Now he may or may not have, but most people say he did not do these miracles for the first 30 years of his life. He's a carpenter. He's, a, he's working in the carpenter's fields but now, there's never any deaf ears that he couldn't touch and make hear. There's never any mute mouth he couldn't touch and make talk. There's never any lame man that he couldn't make walk. There's no crippled withered hand that he couldn't straighten out. D.L. Moody said, I was going to preach my first funeral sermon. I didn't know what funeral sermon to preach. So I searched the Gospels to try to find out what funeral sermon Jesus preached. And he didn't. Every time he came to a funeral, he broke it up. He's the cure. He's the help. Consider him doing all of these miracles through the Holy Spirit. And remember what Jesus said in Luke's gospel. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Let me ask you a question. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? You try to do mission work. You try to do preaching. You try to do anything without the anointing and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be spinning your wheels. Did you remember how Jesus would do what he did and what followed when he did what he did? The busy day of Capernaum. More miracles on that day than any other day recorded in the life and ministry of Jesus. He did miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And Mark chapter 1, 34, 35 says he rose up a great while before day and prayed. Uh, on busy days like I have, I often have a tendency, don't you, to just let's sleep in, not Jesus. His busiest day, he got up early and got in the secret place. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Consider him. Look at him. He feeds the 5,000, not counting the women and children. Five loaves, two fishes, sends the multitude away, sends the disciples across the ship. Mark, Matthew chapter 14 records, right after he did that, he got up on the mountain apart and he prayed. Do you see the principle? Jesus gives out and then he gets alone with the Father. And he begins to draw from the Holy Spirit. Stay with me now. See, here's how we think, and we don't realize it a lot of times, but our culture affects how we think. Used to when bookstores were open, and I think some of them are still open, you could walk into a bookstore, you won't see just one shelf, you might see two or more shelves dedicated to self-help, how to become the better you. And with philosophy such as this, what the mind of man can conceive, he can achieve. And so the American way is be a great achiever. And now it's hit the pulpits and it's hit the mission field. You're more interested in being a CEO, more interested in, and I'm going to say this carefully, more interested sometimes in getting a crowd than getting conversions. More interested in results than revival. And, and, and now the, we're, we're bent on achieving. But when you look at the word of God, God's not looking for great achievers. He is not impressed by your ingenuity. Amen. He is not impressed by your organizational skill or your things to do list. Yes. Yes. 
God is not up in heaven saying, look at Jared's things to do list. He has been the Franklin Covey. He's on his road to being a great pastor. God's looking for great receivers because power with God is not achieved. It is received. See, the Bible says, he came into his own, John 1, 12 and 1, 11, 12. He came into his own as unreceiving or not, but to as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Then what Acts says, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, ye shall receive power. Amen. Tarry until you be endued with power from on high. And so I think our Lord is really teaching us something in his curative ministry. The reason he had this miracle power in his life was because he was really teaching us a beautiful lesson on the power of God. And the healing power of God. Let me just say this. A spirit-filled Christian not only has the power of God to see the revival and to see God do what only God can do, but also God gives the spirit-filled Christian a sane mind. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. When one is filled with the Holy Spirit, he or she is not a victim of worry. Remember the Bible says in Philippians, be careful, overly worried, anxious. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the word keep there in Greek is the same word for guard or garrison. When we pray the price, God gives us the peace. The Holy Spirit of God that fills you, refreshes you. And when you spend that time in the secret place, receiving from the Lord, the Bible says, be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And I've understood that that phraseology is a continual thing. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. You might ask me, are you pushing for a second blessing? <laughs> I'm pushing for a third one and a 400,000 one, 500,000 one. Amen. I don't need just one day that I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit today. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And there's not going to be a healing of your emotions if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll go a step further. You may be even deprived of being healed in your physical flesh without that fullness of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, anointing them with oil. What's that all about? That's the Holy Spirit. The oil. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. For the Pope, I don't have that kind of power with God. Yes, you do. You just haven't got in on it. Amen. Well, I'm not like Elijah. Yes, you are. Because right after it said that, it says Elijah was a man of like passions. Oh, yes. Look at him under the juniper tree, huh? Look at him in the cave, my friend. Remember God says, what doest thou here, Elijah? Listen to me, friend. God is wanting you to consider Jesus. What he did, he did on purpose. And as Peter saw it, that we should follow his steps. Consider him as the creator of Christ. He created you. He made you. Consider him as the cradle Christ. He came for you. Consider him as the curative Christ. Consider him... As the crucified Christ. Now we could stay here for the rest of the sermon, I know, but I think there's some other things you might want to do this night. But let me just say this, my friend. Paul was so enraptured with the cross. He says, I'm determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He didn't just witness for Christ to the unbeliever. He lived the Christ life and he gave it everywhere he went. Remember the song? I love to tell the story to those who know it best. Seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. I don't know about you, but there's nothing that makes me want to serve Jesus more than when I consider what he did for me and what he did for you. When I think about when he says to Simon Peter to put up the sword, and if I wanted to, I could call 12 legion of angels. That's, not le that's no less 
12 legion. That's somewhere between 72,000 and 144,000. Let's take the bottom figure, 72,000 angels. You know how powerful an angel is? In the Old Testament, one angel took out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Himself. Uno, senor. One. Can you imagine what 72,000 really bent out of shape angels could have done? So he says, Peter, put up your penknife. What about the guy's ears? <laughs> I can see him squalling like a dying calf in a hailstorm. Hush, here. And Jesus puts the ear back on. He says, listen, put it up. I could call 72,000 angels, but I'm not going to do it. And they let him away. The Bible says, I gave my, bite to, I, my, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks and then the plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Isaiah 56. Isaiah 53. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form of comeliness. We should see him, we should desire him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. That was 700 and something years before Jesus died on the cross in prophecy. A thousand years before he died, it begins in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Remember that? You come to the middle there of Psalm 22. It says, they pierced my hands and my feet. That never happened to David, that happened to Jesus. It was prophesied a thousand years before he died upon that cross. The Sanhedrin court meet and they beat him one after the other with clenched fists, open fists, and sticks. The Bible says in Isaiah 52, 14, his visage is so marred more than any man. C.I. Schofield had it right when he said he didn't even look human. Consider him as the crucified Christ. Pilate now has him. His wife says, have to have nothing to do with this just man. I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. And Pilate is scared. He sends him to Herod. Herod sends him back to Pilate. Pilate begins to interview him. Are you a king? And Jesus more or less said, did you think this up on your own? Or did someone else tell you this? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, I'd bring my servants and this would be over. Pilate was so astounded when he looks at Jesus, finally he says, Isi omo, behold the man. Never seen anyone like him, none like him. They beat him until the flesh came off of his rib cage and spinal column. People say, well, how do you know that? Because the Bible says in Psalm 22, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me like ivory fingers coming up out of bowls of blood. You know, medical science will tell you something rather interesting. A person reaches the peak of their physical strength at 34 years of age. You can build bulk and get definition and get strength until you're 34. But at 34, no matter how many gyms you go to, no matter how many vitamins you take, your body is operating on the second law of thermodynamics, meaning everything about you is lending itself to dissipation. You'll never be stronger than you were at 34. That's the peak of your strength. Jesus died at 33 and a half. Think about this for just a moment. The God-man gave you the best part of himself as a man. And of course, God never changes. He's always good. And always strong and always able. Amen. The God man, Jesus, voluntarily, no man takes it from me. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up. Roman history says a man, it wasn't unusual, to be ripped right in half at the Roman whipping post because when they whipped him, they extended the body until the toes just barely touched the ground. Alfred Edersheen says, until they dangled a little bit off of the ground even so that when the whip hit them and it pulls back, not only did it cut through the flesh, but it caused a ripping sensation so that a man could be ripped right in half at the whipping post. You see, Jesus was the man. Isiomo, 
But it was God come to flesh. The kenosis emptied himself. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why was it not robbery to be equal with God? Because he is God. God a very God. God man. And took upon himself the form of a servant. Became obedient even to the death of the cross. The kinesis. He emptied himself for you and me. And upon that cross. He went. Nailed hands and feet. Lifted high in the air. Reminded of what he said. And I if I be lifted up from the earth. Will draw all men unto me. Whosoever will may come. What a savior. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I thirst. Woman, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. I know I'm out of order right now. Remember me when thou gainest thy kingdom. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. It is finished. To tell a sty, that great word that was used by the Cyclops when they won a battle, the runner would run back to Athens and he'd have one word on his lips. If there was overwhelming victory, the telis die, and they would jump for joy. It's the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. He died for us. He died for us. Amen. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Remember what happened when he said it was finished? Remember when he commended the spirit? Remember the Bible says the veil of the temple rent from the very top to the bottom. That was six to nine inches in, in thickness. It would take two oxen, two yoke of oxen to pull that thing up there. And it was ripped not from the bottom to the top, from the top to the bottom. And there is the Ark of the Covenant and nobody died. Do you want to know why? Because it's no longer necessary anymore. Because the way has been made through the veil of his flesh. And the priests are standing there astounded because from where I was standing at Gordon's Calvary, there's no doubt in my mind, when Jesus cried out, Titelestai, it is finished, they could hear his voice echoing through the temple as the veil was rent and the rocks broke because the Son of God has died for our sins. Father, now thy hands I commend my spirit. Look at the sequence of the Messianic Psalms. Psalm 22 my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's pierced. He, my, my, and, and he dies for us. He's surrounded by dogs, the Gentiles, and he's there on the cross. Psalm 23, yea, though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, darkness in the three and a half hours of the six hours on the cross. And then you get the Psalm 24. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. What happened? Hebrews 9, 14. He offered himself without spot to God through the eternal spirit. Up, 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 up through the eternal spirit with his blood in the bowl. And he comes to the outside of the gates of glory. And he says, latter part of Psalm 24, open up your gates and be you lifted up your everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come through. Gabriel says to Michael, who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty in battle is he. Open up your gates and be you lifted up your everlasting doors. Mike, yeah, Gabe, that's him. Open up. And the cherubims that are pictured in the symbols of the tabernacle of the temple now lift up their wings and they've resheathed their flaming swords. They don't need them now because Jesus has now defeated the devil and he comes up to the mercy seat in heaven and the father turns back around. It's the sign of the covenant. Remember Genesis 15? And now he's face to face with the father. Father, this is my blood for their sins. And in the heavens... There is a mystery that takes place from the cross. It is finished. And he died for us. And then he goes down to paradise and he preaches the people in hell and said, you blew it. Amen. Get ready, David. Get ready, my Moses. We're busting out of here. He'll lead captivity captive. What a savior. What a cross. But we preach Christ crucified. Why do we do this? Because the cross is the power of God and the salvation. To the Jew first and also to Greek. How can you make them a mission field? The cross, the cross, the cross. How can you make it a personal soul winning? The cross, the cross, the cross. How can you make it in this pulpit? The cross, the cross, the cross. Amen. Consider him as the crucify Christ. Consider him as the coffin Christ. And I'm playing on words there. He was laid in that tomb. He had died. There's no doubt about it. He had died. And the strangest thing happened when he died and he was buried. There were certain saints around Jerusalem whose tombs cracked open. 
and synonymous with Jesus raising up from the grave, the most unusual thing happened. People that believed on the Messiah to come have now come up out of their grave. And I've often visualized this, that some mother who had been witnessing to her son, son, you know, John the Baptist, he's, he, he's telling us the Messiah is coming. He's telling us he's coming. Then a few days later, the son who's living a wicked life, doing the wicked things, she says, son, guess what? I was there when John baptized the Messiah. He called him the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Son, he's the only one that can take away the sin of the world. You need to come. You need to come. You need to come. No, mama, leave me alone. And then a few days later, she dies. And Jesus dies on the cross. And hers is one of the graves that cracked open. Jesus rises up in the grave. Mama comes up out of the grave. She comes to where her boy's drinking with his friends. She knocks on the door. He opens up, and there his mother stands. I told you that he had come. Amen. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of mysteries about what in the world happened when Jesus died and when he was buried and when he rose again from the grave. So we need to consider him as the conquering Christ. Death could not hold him. Death is guarding the grave of Jesus. I've got him. I've got him. Death runs up to death. Use your imagination. Death, do you have him? Oh, yeah, I've got him. He's not getting away. I know you're happy about this. And the devil says, okay, fine. But where's corruption? Well, you know corruption and I work together. Death and, yeah, I, right. I know that. Why isn't he here? I don't know why, but you, you, you know he's got to show up because I promise you, he is dead. I mean, I saw it when the, when the spear was in his side. Now comes blood and water. I'm telling you, he's dead. He was blue. He was dead. He's dead. Second day, old death is guarding the grave of Jesus and the devil says, do you have him, death? Do you have him? Didn't I get that Baptist preacher? Yeah. Didn't, and didn't I get David? Yeah, you got David. Son, funny you should say that because along those lines, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. So where's your buddy corruption? Yeah, corruption. Yeah, you know we work together. I know it! Where is he? Well, I don't know, but I'm sure he's going to get here soon. The devil walks away. Corruption! Corruption! Hurry up and get here and do your thing! Morning of the third day before the devil get very close. Death throws his hands to his face and says, Look out! Look out! I can't hold him. I can't hold him any longer. Corruption never showed up. And up from the grave he arose. Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. A mighty triumph for his foe. And forgive me if I'm taking this too far, but I can imagine the devil rushing to the tomb, throwing one towel onto this side, another towel onto that side of the tomb, and says, where are you going? And Jesus is folding the napkin up. <laughs> Undisturbed. You, you know that folded napkin piece, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, right, right. He's not crumpling it. He's not... No, he's folding up because he plans to come back, you know. So he's folding it up and putting it back over there. That's the custom. Amen. The devil says, where are you going? Jesus says, I'm leaving here now. The devil says, I didn't give you permission. Jesus said, I didn't ask. And the devil says, no. And Jesus, with a coy smile, lifts up his nail-pierced foot. And the devil's looking through that hole in his foot. And suddenly, and the devil says, get your foot off my face. <laughs> and it comes to the devil's mind that he would bruise his heel, but he would bruise his head. Amen. And Jesus said, yeah, I'll get my foot off your ugly face, but you've got something that belongs to me. And he reaches down and grabs the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Amen. He's alive! And he holds the keys of death amen. and hell. He's alive. Amen. He is the amen. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. He's the amen and amen. He's the beloved branch, bridegroom, brightness of the Father's glory. He's the sweet balm of Gilead. He's amen. the captain of our salvation. He's the chief cornerstone. He is our Christ. He is elect. He's Emmanuel. Amen. He's finisher of our faith. He's first fruits. Amen. He's the fountain of life issuing from that cave of death. He's God, gift of God, governor, guide, and glory. 
glorious Lord. He's help, husband, horn of salvation, heir of the church, high priest, hell's dread, heaven's wonder, the holy, most holy one of God, image of God's person, immortal and invisible. He's Jesus, he's just, he's just one and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. He's king, king of kings, king of glory, king everlasting, king of kings and lord of lords. He's light, he's lamb, he's living stone, he's lord of glory. He is the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He's master, mediator, mighty God in the mercy's paradise. Mercy's paradox, he's priest, he's propitiation, he's prince of life, he's prince of peace, he's, amen. He's the great physician, he's the shield, he's the sufferer, he's the savior, he's the sinless sacrifice, he's the same yesterday, today and forever. He's tabernacle, testator, truth, he's He's treasure. He's the witness. He's the word. He's the way. He's wonderful. Sweetest name on mortal tongue. Sweetest carol ever sung. He rose up from that grave and he's alive forevermore. The conquering Christ. Oh, one other thing before we go. Consider him as the coming Christ. First Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself. He's not just sending the angels after you boys and girls. For the Lord himself Amen. shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. They need that six-foot head start, right? Then we, that's a wonderful thought, that we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. For this corruptible, 1 Corinthians 15 says, must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? He's the coming Christ. Redemption draweth nigh, ladies and gentlemen. Now more than ever, we need the missionaries to get back on the field. The preachers to preach Jesus again. For the soul winners to witness again. For the prayer warriors to pray again. And for all of us to be filled with the Holy Spirit as Jesus by his very life was teaching us the pattern of service. Consider him lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. If you faint in your minds, it comes down to this. You're not considering 